Welcome to Site Selection Matters, where we take a close look at the art and science of site selection decision making. I'm your host, Rick Weddle, President of the Site Selectors Guild. In each episode, we introduce you to leaders in the world of corporate site selection and economic development. We speak with members of the Site Selectors Guild, our economic development partners, and corporate decision makers to provide you with deep insight into the best and next practices in our profession. In this episode, we have as our guest, Greg Burkhart, Managing Director and Practice Leader for Site Selection and Incentive Advisory Services with Duffin Phelps. Today, Greg will talk with us about manufacturing reshoring. More specifically, we'll talk with Greg about how the COVID pandemic is changing the dynamics of manufacturing location activity around the world. Join me as we welcome Greg Burkhart to Site Selection Matters. Greg, a lot has changed and continues to change in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Global supply chains are being re-examined as we speak. I've even heard you suggest that companies are maybe nearing a tipping point to bring manufacturing operations back to the U.S. Take a minute or two, if you will, to help our listeners understand your views on reshoring and what you mean by companies reaching a tipping point. Thanks, Rick. So... Since the, the passage of, of NAFTA in, in 93, the trend for companies has been to shift the manufacturing of goods from the U.S. to low labor costs. And in 1992, the, the U.S. trade deficit for goods production was about $85 billion. Uh, last year, the trade deficit had multiplied tenfold to $854 billion. So over this time period, what we were also seeing with all the shifts of production to China, the labor costs in China rose about 2,000%. And that caused companies to start analyzing their their manufacturing operations because the the U.S.-China labor differential shrunk from about 31x to about 4x. Initially, companies, as these labor costs started to rise, what they did is they moved from the coastline in China to the further further interior parts of China. But once the pandemic hit, companies realized that you know they couldn't reliably get their goods out of the Western province. And so as, as a result, the goods just stopped flowing almost overnight. And what was kind of this slowly simmering pot really started to boil over in uh, in April. The C-suite was also facing the possibility that the current administration would would designate their company as a critical business. And for them, that was the tipping point where they would be forced to relocate relocate operations back to uh, to the U.S. So instead of having this, you know, far flung supply chain, companies started looking more closely at manufacturing for the U.S. market in the U.S. or asking some of their critical suppliers to, to relocate back in the, in the U.S. So that's what we mean by the tipping point. It's kind of reached that the pandemic caused companies to kind of reach that, that tipping point. So, so Greg, let me ask the question. Uh, the critical business designation that the federal government could make would actually be a, a regulatory matter where they might say to industry A or industry B or company A or company B, your business is critical. Therefore, you have to to realign your supply chain. So they were actually faced with possibly having to do it for, for non-business reasons. Is that right? Correct. So the Department of Homeland Security has identified, I think there's 13 or 14 
industry segment that they view as being critical to national security. So it's it's a designation that could come from uh, Department of Homeland Security. Or Peter Navarro has uh, an office in in the White House, and he would be the uh, you know the, the U.S. what they're calling the I guess the U.S. productions are. So it, it could come from from either uh, either the agency or, or from the White House. That's interesting. So you know, as we've dealt with the pandemic, we back home we have operations and employees that are considered essential employees, that that's a designation. And then now you also have critical businesses and critical industries that have an implication there. So that's very that's very interesting. Greg, with companies reassessing their supply chains, are there specific considerations that are now being weighed as heavily or more heavily than cost alone? Are there other non-cost factors that are starting to come into play? So as strategic factors, as risk factors, uh, entered the the equation. Uh, executives started asking us to quantify other variables that would help them minimize some of these risks in their siting decisions. So our firm undertook a extensive study of the 28 identified production sectors, and we created an index that ranked the the various industries and identified those that were most likely to reshore their uh, their operations. And in our analysis, we plotted the the current data for for all those major production categories. And we began that analysis by identifying, measuring, and and weighting some of these key metrics, uh, which include, we sort of refreshed the analysis on cost, uh, you know, with the huge increase in Chinese labor rate. We took a fresh look at what those labor rates were in China versus here in the United States. And we did that as as a percentage of production hours to 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 factor out currency fluctuations and the effect that that exchange rates would have on the overall dollar value of of uh, production. In addition, we took a look at logistics costs. You know, what was the the cost to hold and ship those products to the uh, to the United States? It's another um, factor that has risen uh, quite substantially in China here in uh, in recent years. But then in addition to cost, we took a look at at five other variables, and those were the level of automation in in making the product. So how amenable was the manufacturing process? How amenable was the improvement in the manufacturing process with automation? So essentially, we we took a look at the effect of of labor productivity on the uh, the manufacturing of the, uh, the good. The second one was the level of innovation and intellectual property that's embedded not only in the, the product itself, but also in the manufacturing of the uh, of the product. The third variable that we took a look at is uh, product quality and manufacturing safety. So how important was product quality to the customer's buying decision? You know, for example, was it a part that was that was under the hood in an automobile that would not be visible to to the driver. But then also, you know, how how safely could the product be made? You know, there's a number of uh, manufacturing operations that are just you know inherently dangerous. So what is the overall level of safety uh, in in the manufacturing of that product? We also took a look at we we just talked about you know whether or not the the business uh, would be considered as as uh, essential or critical to uh, to U.S. national security. And then finally, we took a look at, at environmental regulations and what were the incremental costs 
of the environmental controls that were required to manufacture the product in, in the United States. So those were the, the six. So we had cost plus automation, innovation, intellectual property, product quality, manufacturing, safety, essential business designations, and then also environmental regulations. Those were all of the things that we considered when we created our index. You know, Greg, it strikes me that all those factors were there before. It's just now that some are more important than others that, as you said, you reweight them or re- and figure out how to measure them. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what really does you see this? What does it mean for location advisory services? Does this level of non-cost related analysis make reshoring more important to some industries? And if so, which I'm, I think obviously it, it does, what would you consider the priority industries to be to consider for reshoring to the U.S.? Now, well, for for site selection, risk minimization has become just as important as cost. So, in our analysis of the six primary criteria, uh, we did an even weighting of the variables that relate to cost and those that that relate to risk. Uh, and and you know, we see, for example, the essential business designation or the the probability of being designated as a critical industry. Uh, as as a risk uh, for for a company, much like the incremental cost of environmental controls uh, as as a cost element. So we did an equal weighting of these costs and and risks. And after we uh, analyzed uh, all of those criteria across the twenty eight production sectors, we identified eight as being the, the the most probable candidates to to reshore to the United States. Um, and when we look at those those eight industries, they share a few common characteristics. So first, they're, they're relatively low labor and high transportation costs. The manufacturing process tends to implement some of the most advanced robotics and automation techniques for, for the manufacturing of, uh, of those goods. The manufacturing process also is more conducive to, uh, to U.S. environmental and OSHA. Uh, regulation. And then a couple other items is that we found that the innovativeness or the the, the value of the IP is, is a big percentage of the overall product value. And then finally, a lot of these products just tend to have higher profit margins um, and higher global demand so that, you know, alleviate some of the concern associated with uh, the additional investment cost to, uh, to reshore the product. And so the, the eight sectors that we identified are automobile, parts, and body manufacturing. We had other transportation equipment that we identified, for example, rail and, uh, and boats. Probably the third one, which was, seems to be obvious for, for a lot of folks, but, you know, a lot of it was also being manufactured uh, offshore is navigational measuring uh, electromedical and, and control instruments and devices. The other one is soaps and cleansers. You know, with the pandemic, we didn't realize how much of our soaps and cleansers were actually made offshore. Semiconductor and electronic components, medical equipment and supplies, communication equipment. And then finally, the, the eighth sector uh, was uh, aerospace products and parts. Uh, so those were the eight that we identified as being uh, the most likely to reshore and come back to, uh, to the United States. You know, it seems interesting to me when you're listening to you walk through that list and, and, and the build up to that going through innovation and the and the cost of this and the cost of that and the importance of this and the importance of that, that you initially would think, well, that's going to mean that this is uh, 
all really high end kinds of things. And then we add soaps and cleansers, which is which is uh, interesting to have that right there beside semiconductors as a uh, as one of the priority candidates. But it's for a set different set of reasons, but probably equally important. Right. Absolutely. Well, and and, and I guess we didn't realize how how much profit margin is actually in soaps and cleansers too. So. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, some of these, for example, soaps and cleansers are, you know, probably higher in terms of the probability being designated as a critical industry, much like, you know, medical equipment and supplies. Those two items, especially in the midst of the pandemic that we're in, uh, are, are very, very critical to the overall national security uh, in uh, in the U.S. Well, and it, it strikes me that we, when the pandemic first you know, hit and broke out. There was all of the stories on the evening news of, of you know, distilleries and uh, beer place. I mean, people converting alcohol production to hand sanitizer, which is you know because that was suddenly way more important than it was just a few weeks ago <laughs> in that whole process. As it had become very very critical, and as we go through that, uh, so as you as you shift all this strategic analysis analysis from cost and specific lower labor cost doesn't mean that labor goes away as important, but it's, it's, um, it's relative importance shifts. But now that you've built this kind of matrix, how does this really help you determine the best candidates for reshoring? Or is there any thoughts you want to share on that? Well, the, the best candidates um, for, uh, for reshoring are really those that would be probably have the highest potential of, of being designated as a critical business. You know, that is, that's the new risk in the equation that people really hadn't fully considered up until the uh, the, the pandemic hit. Uh, you know, we've always talked about the importance of manufacturing safety and product quality and uh, intellectual um, uh, property protections and uh, environmental regulations. But I think that the real new sort of factor that, that is now on everybody's radar screen is this essential business designation. That's very interesting. It's a, a, a change. Let, you know, Greg, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, let me just go right ahead and do it and put you on the spot. If you had a crystal ball right now and could see the future as much as all this change is happening, you know, what would it look like to you? How do you see COVID-19 pandemic changing the way you do business? Uh, how do you think this would impact the competitive position of cities and regions? And finally, if and when, if ever, will we return to normal? Well, those are all good questions. I guess that's why you're on that side of the mic. Those are very good <laughs> questions. So, you know, we're seeing right now two competing risks, really, or two competing events that are causing risk. One is COVID-19, you know, the, the, the pandemic. The other one, which I think we talked about on, on one of the recent webcasts uh, with, uh, with Jay, is, you know, the... Uh, some of the unrest and protest and and uh, that that's going on across the country. Now, in in my view, the the biggest economic disruption that we're going to face is with with the pandemic with COVID nineteen. And to respond to this uncertainty, we're seeing a lot of our clients repatriating manufacturing to the U.S. or holding larger inventories in the U.S. until they can make this decision about whether or not they want to repatriate. What's common between these, these, these protests, though, and, and COVID-19 is both of these events seem to be occurring more in urban cores. So as these operations are repatriated back to the United States, what, what we're seeing is more interest in rural areas 
not necessarily urban areas. And that's a switch from what was going on here just, uh, you know, really uh, almost uh, a year ago or even six months ago. So our challenge, how that changes our, our uh, profession a little bit is our challenge as site selectors is finding reliable data for the rural areas. For example, you know, we have 392 MSAs. All the counties that are not part of an MSA are considered rural. Well, if you take if you take a look at the last census, the non-metro counties contained about 46 million uh, people in the U.S. and it covered about 72 percent of the land area of the country. So, if you focus solely on MSA level data, you're going to be missing a lot of the country's land area and about 15% of the population. So it seems like maybe a kind of a innocuous decision at the front end of a, of a site selection project can lead to large gaps in, in the data. And you could inadvertently, you know, eliminate hundreds of, of very viable sites uh, in, in the more rural areas. Does it follow that suddenly now you're having to look at areas that you previously didn't have to look at? Or didn't or, or weren't being asked to look at and consider. Well, that's the old Pareto's law, right? So it's always you know eighty percent of the projects always seem to go to to twenty percent of the locations. Uh, so it always seemed to be you know when you would look at announcements that you know a lot of the the project announcements happened in you know the you know the top seventy five to to eighty five metro areas or or MSAs. And I think now what's going to end up happening is companies are going to be actively exploring the other MSAs and, and non-metro communities. The, the biggest challenge was always getting the data for for those non-metro counties because so much of the, the publicly available data is is organized around MSAs. And you know now I think our challenge is going to be you know how do we get data to analyze these decisions and make recommendations to uh, to our clients. So data gathering for for these rural areas is uh, is really going to be a critical skill, uh, I think, for uh, for the foreseeable future for for our profession. Certainly, sounds like an opportunity for local economic development leaders to figure out how to help you get that data, so they can be on the short list and maybe have an opportunity for some of these new opportunities. Absolutely, they're they're certainly on the front lines of of that data gathering and publicizing it. You know, the great thing about the internet is it really does make the long end of the, the, uh, the, the long tail of the market much more visible. And so now, like, you know, no other time in, in our history, local economic developers can make a big impact just by, pub- by gathering and, and, and publicizing uh, the, uh, the information about their communities uh, on, their, on their websites. Greg, you've given us a lot to think about uh, today, a lot of opportunities for local economic developers. What a great conversation, but that's really all the time we have. So let me begin to say thanks to Greg Burkhart with Duff and Phelps for talking with us today on this episode of Site Selection Matters. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Site Selection Matters. And a special thanks to Greg Burkhardt, Managing Director and Practice Leader 
with Duff and Phelps for helping us get inside and better understand manufacturing reshoring and how it will impact our country, our states, our regions, and cities in the years ahead. What an informative discussion we've had today. Again, I'm Rick Weddle, President of the Site Selectors Guild. This podcast episode presents my views and the views of my guests, and they do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Site Selectors Guild or its membership. We hope you will subscribe to Site Selection Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We look forward to bringing you some great discussions in the year ahead. Until next time, good day.